Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 27 of Conquering Columbus. Today on the show, we have Matt Brown, and we're really excited to bring you this episode. Uh, Matt's a really cool guy. Uh, we used to train with him at the Ohio RTC for a little bit before he went on to do bigger things in MMA. Before we get the show going here, though, you know we got to take the time and thank all of our sponsors. Our first shout-out goes over to our sponsors at AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. And with over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. To find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked up in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, they're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Uh, Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout and it's awesome. Best thing is they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend and you don't know what's in it. Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well and uh, we can trust to deliver high quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the store behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out maxeffortmuscle.com. I want to give one last shout out before we get rolling here, and that is the Procure Clean. Procure Clean, the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, is a chlorine dioxide product that has quickly become the leading disinfectant and deodorizer on the market. Their disinfectant is a simple, safe way to disinfect just about anything from tabletops to wrestling mats. What's unique about their product is that uh, you just add water and spray on whatever surface you want to disinfect and wait just 30 seconds compared to up to 5 to 10 minutes for some other products to eliminate MRSA, staph, and a variety of other infectious diseases. What's really cool is that Procure Clean is giving a 5% discount on all orders in the month of December using the code CONQUERINGCBUS. All you have to do is send any inquiries to sales at procureclean.com. That is P-R-O-K-U-R-E-K-L-E-A-N.com. And mention the Conquering Seabus code, and you'll get 5% off any order. All right, guys, let's get this episode rolling. You could drop me anywhere on the planet any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. And our guest today is Matt the Immortal Brown. And he's currently the number six ranked welterweight in the UFC. He's originally from Jamestown, Ohio, and he's now living and training in Denver, Colorado. I'm going to kick it over to Josh for a quick intro on Matt. Hey guys, like Mike mentioned, Matt's currently the number six ranked welterweight in the UFC. 
Before fighting the UFC, though, Matt struggled with drugs and alcohol. That's where he received his nickname, The Immortal, after surviving a heroin overdose. He realized he needed to find something to keep him away from those negative influences in his life. That's when he discovered MMA and began competing in MMA. He was a competitor in the Ultimate Fighter's seventh season and today continues to fight and train. We know Matt through wrestling when he was living in Ohio and in Columbus. He used to come and train with the Ohio RTC program at The Ohio State University. We're really excited to connect again with Matt today and have him on the show. Without further ado, welcome to Conquering Columbus, Matt. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. So kind of let's kick it off, I guess, and, and talk a little bit about where you're at right now. What's life like out in Colorado, and uh, what kind of brought you out there? You were living here in Columbus for a little while. Yeah, life is really good out here in Denver, man. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that can kind of live anywhere, so it works out. You know, wherever I go, I'm fine, but uh, the family loves it here. Um, wife and kids are happy, so that's what makes me the most happy. Um, but it, what brought me out here actually was Muscle Farm fight team. Uh, Muscle Farm was sponsoring Elevation Fight Team. I trained out here a few times for you know some of the altitude training, and they offered to bring me out as a sponsorship package. And yeah, just things went from there. You know, Columbus is a great city. I love Columbus, and it's always going to be my home. But uh, I felt like I'd kind of um, made plateaued and maximized, used up all that Columbus had to offer in terms of the MMA training. Right. And so, you know, I've always heard about altitude training and how, how much more difficult it can be at, at high altitudes like that. Um, have you noticed the difference training out there? Absolutely. Yeah, you notice it right away. First day, <laughs> you come in and um, you're going to fall apart pretty quickly. Um, pretty much everybody does. I've never really seen anybody come out and uh, not ha- not struggle at the beginning. So kind of to play devil's advocate a little bit on that point, I've heard some people say that when they train at that altitude and then they go and they go to some other part of the country and they compete at a different one, it kind of messes with their body a little bit and they'd prefer to train at the same area that they compete. Do you have any feedback on that? Yeah, I think, um, you know, being out here, you know, increases your red blood cell count. So it sends more oxygen to your muscles. And then when you go down into the uh, at sea level, you know, you're getting more oxygen to your muscles than the person that's been training at sea level. So it should be, it should be uh, technically should be advantageous. Um, there's a lot of really high level athletes that come out and, and do out two training all the time. So, um, you know, the, I guess the proof is in the pudding. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, cool. We'll kind of jump into, I want to talk a little bit about uh, muscle farm down the road, but let's maybe start back in Jamestown, talk about your life growing up before the UFC and um, you competed bodybuilding a little bit in your earlier days and kind of what drew you to your different sports and what was uh, Matt Brown like as a child? Uh, well, uh, start first. I'm assuming you got that from Wikipedia because that's where they said that I did bodybuilding, but I never really did bodybuilding. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, we get a lot of stuff off Wikipedia, but obviously you can't always trust it, and that's why your teachers tell you not to use it as a source when you're in uh, high school that's or college. We can, we can take a valuable lesson for all of our listeners. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So yeah, I you know I did. Uh, I grew up doing a lot of different sports, and I pretty much excelled at every sport that I did, and then. Yeah, there in Jamestown, I mean, you know, it's just a small town and there's not really, um, not a lot of, I hate to say not a lot of hope, but there's not, not a lot of ambition and a lot of ambitious, influential people in the town. And so the, I think, you know, that combined with my natural uh, drive for like extreme things kind of is what led me to the drugs and alcohol and kind of led me away from the sports, you know, just a small town sports 
just wasn't really doing it for me. It just didn't keep me interested or excited. Um, you know, like I said, I excelled at them, but, you know, it just wasn't, uh, you know, a lot of times when you get in, the, especially football, when you get into the, um, you know, those small towns, like a lot of like the starters are starters because their dad knows the coach or, um, you know, stupid things like that. And so, you know, I wasn't, you know, one of those fortunate kids that, you know, was, was, um, you know, it wasn't like a popular kid in school or, you know, it wasn't, you know, my dad didn't know the coach, you know, so, uh, you know, I wasn't in that sort of situation. So it kind of just drove me away from, from that lifestyle as a young kid, um, you know, experimenting with a lot of different things. Um, and then finally, you know, I got to the big city when I was, you know, uh, after high school, probably 20, 21 years old, moved up to Columbus and, um, it was pretty quick, you know, when I realized, you know, I was a little fish in this big pond and not the big fish anymore. So, um, you know, I had some, you know, a lot of experiences that, that woke me up and, um, you know, brought, some, brought made me humble, probably humbled me a little bit. And, yeah, one thing led to another, you know, and then I found the martial arts and the rest is history. So what age did the struggle with drugs and alcohol start and kind of, uh, was that something like, was it largely influenced by like your family environment and things like that? Or was that just kind no, of, no, I had a, I had a great family actually, you know, we had a, you know, my parents didn't get divorced or anything. And, um, my dad was a hardworking man, you know, he, you know, uh, rest in peace, but he, he lived to, you know, he, he lived his life for his family and, and for his work, he worked a, a lot of hours every day. He built his own business. When I was a young kid, um, you know, three, four, or five years old, whatever, you know, elementary school, we, we didn't have any money at all. By the time, you know, I was um, 16, 17 years old, we lived in what most people would consider a mansion, I mean, just a gigantic, I think it was like a four or 5,000 square foot home with 10 acres, you know, so... So, you know, he was a self-made man. So, you know, it definitely wasn't a family or anything, but um, uh, I think, you know, I started probably around like 12 or 13, but, you know, starting to experiment with pot and, um, you know, different uh, pills and, you know, easily accessible things. Um, probably, you know, started playing around with cigarettes before that age. But it was more just, like I said, just boredom from being in a small town, uh, experimenting with different things, and um, not really being able to to fit in, you know, with the the crowd that I probably should have fit in with, like the jocks, and um, you know, like that's kind of naturally what I was, naturally an athlete, and like I said, I excelled in sports, but I wasn't necessarily getting the the props for excelling in sports, and I think you know there was a lot of political things behind that or whatever. And then, you know, in school, you know, I excelled. Like, I was an honor student, you know, up until high school when I just, you know, pretty much quit doing any work at all in school. And, uh, you know, I never even tried that hard. I'd, I got really bored with school uh, really quickly. Um, by the time I, I remember being junior high and just being in honors class, like, I couldn't believe that they were teaching the stuff because it was so simple. And that was, you know, I was actually homeschooled for a year, and I think that – propelled me ahead of all these kids um and enormous enormously so i was just you know i was bored in school i was bored with athletics and not getting um not getting my fair my fair share is, is what i felt like and then you know so the you know the easy outlet for a kid with a lot of energy 
you know, is, is go party. And, and, you know, and it kind of got to the point of, I remember one time, you know, one of my friends was like, it was, it were, I was still on the football team or the wrestling team. And, uh, and he goes, he goes, man, do you, are you going to go wrestle with them guys and sweat and, and be miserable? Or you want to go, you know, get a six pack and hang out with some girls. I was like, yeah, you got yeah, a good point a there. Offer. <laughs> right. Yeah, as, a, as you have a really good point, man. So, you know, I that was kind of in my mind. That was kind of my fork in the road. Was that conversation right there? You know what I mean? And that uh, I chose the wrong fork. So, you know, just just some bad decisions. And you know, I don't think I was ever. Um, you know, it wasn't really uh, who I was, but it was, you know, part of. Uh, you know, the, the only part of it that, that really was, was was sort of, you know, the who I am internally was just the, the fact that, you know, I'm an extremist. You know, I take things to the extreme. And I, unfortunately, at that time, I was just taking drugs and alcohol to the extreme. Um, and then, you know, all I, all I did when I did the martial arts was I just took the martial arts to the extreme took all that energy and just turned it from something negative to something positive. In all reality, it was really doing essentially the same thing. I'm just, you know, taking, um, my energy and putting it in a, um, every ounce of, uh, every ounce of it into one thing. Um, you know, it was drugs and alcohol, then it turns into martial arts. Yeah. And we, we don't want to focus too much on the drugs and alcohol portion, but what I do want to finish on that before we jump into the martial arts is just talking about, so eventually you ended up um, getting that heroin overdose and just kind of at that point in your life and that must have been extremely pivotal pivotal to survive that. Like kind of what, how did that affect you and kind of what were the days leading up to it and leading away from that like and how that changed your life? So that particular instance wasn't as pivotal as it probably should have been. I, I was an extremely, extremely naive young kid. Um, if there's anything that I would regret about that time, it was just the naivety um, about how badly I was hurting my family and I and and friends, and I, I just didn't understand it. So, um, you know, I don't regret you know uh, the things I did to myself, but the things I did to others, you know, kind of bothers me sometimes that that I could be that naive. So that's why that wasn't as pivotal as pivotal as a moment as it probably should have been because I come out of the um, the overdose and said, I said, man, I'm never going to do heroin again, but I kept doing Coke and meth and, you know, like that, that was actually kind of when I turned to uppers, which I, um, actually, um, enjoyed more and actually had probably, I had more issues with, um, you know, long-term issues with like heroin. I only did probably maybe five to 10 times. Um, so it wasn't like it was a, a long term issue. It just it just happened to be one gigantic issue, uh, right? So, what was the know, final? Like what was the kind of the final straw? Then when did it all kind of end, and um, were you able to transition out of it? Uh, you know, yeah. So the the final straw was martial arts. Um, I, I went to a fight in Chillicothe. Um, it was like at a Moose Lodge or Elks Lodge or something like that, and. 
Uh, I was there to where, watch where my... all good fights are. <laughs> Start to the most. <laughs> yeah, the best fight city in the in the capital in the country. Um, so I, I go there and I'm, I'm I'm drugged up. I'm doing. I think I'm pretty sure we're doing coke that night. Maybe meth, and maybe the two of them together. Maybe some acid. Who knows? But um, I mean, I just remember I was pretty drugged up and we're having a good time. And it might my not buddy... even have been a moose lodge. It sounds like you <laughs> just thought it. <laughs> Well, it was definitely a, a Moose Rocks Lodge, but, but yeah, my friend was supposed to be fighting that night, and I don't remember what happened, but he couldn't fight, so I said, man, I'll fight. Well, well actually, not not just yet, so the, the imagine it's like a movie scene. There's guys out there smoking cigars and you know, betting on the fights and, and all this, and it's just backyard, wild, wild west type thing. Um, the, they, they hold up the, the guy, you know, comes in the cage and the champion of the, the scene or whatever. And they say, Hey, anybody have the balls to fight this guy? And, you know, I'm all coked up. And so I jump up like, like, hell yeah, let's do it. So I went across the street. I bought a, a mouthpiece. There was like a sporting goods store across the street. So went over, I bought a mouthpiece. There was a restaurant also across the street. So I used their microwave to boil the mouthpiece. Um, which if you guys don't know, like when, you know, a lot of the mouthpieces you buy, you boil them and then you bite on them and that leaves an impression of your teeth so they don't fall out. So I used the restaurant's microwave, come back, I fought the guy, uh, ended up winning. And if there was a pivotal moment in my life, that was it. Like that feeling of getting in a cage, like facing a fear like that. Um, and and just the the thrill the rush like it was nothing i'd ever felt before on drugs even though i was doing drugs at that time um and i i just i became obsessed after that um just to i guess to finish the story would be you know so i went to a gym shortly after and then i i i got my ass kicked at the gym i mean i just you know i was it was there in columbus ohio it was actually uh called bo kimley's and that was back in the day um when uh, right after Mark Coleman, Kevin Redman, the whole Hammer House left Bo Kimley's, they used to train there. Then there's like a few guys from Hammer House and uh, some professional fighters, Eli Ayers, Braden Workman. These guys were um, were still kind of left from remnants of the the Hammer House and that training. And you know, I got my ass kicked. I mean, I I, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I don't think I got a single good uh, positive thing out of it but the you know just the feeling of of okay um you know now i know what it feels like to win and now i know what it feels like to get my ass kicked and i said i want to win i want to have that feeling of winning all the time i want i'm and basically to make a long story short i mean i i said to myself this is what i'm going to do for the rest of my life and that was the and, and you know until the day I die, I'm going to be doing this. Whether I make a dime, whether I succeed or not, this is what I want to do with my life. Um, and then that was it. I, you know, I, I it took a long time to get completely away from the drugs and alcohol after that, but that was the beginning of of the end. Absolutely. And as a lot of people know right now, Central Ohio is struggling a lot with heroin overdoses and other types of drug addictions. I was just wondering, kind of, what would your advice be to people out there? who might know someone who or might themselves be struggling with drugs and alcohol right now, how, how should they go about getting out of that cycle? How can they find something that they can put their time into that'll make it easier for them to get away from that? 
Man, that's such a tough question, you know, because it's so, um, you know, it's so personal. It's so um, mm-hmm. different for each person, you know. That's, that's the, the tough part. But, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is just hope. I think a lot of people just don't understand how big the world is. They don't realize how much there truly is to accomplish. Um you know, the one thing that probably drives me the craziest is when these, uh, you know, these first world problem people, you know, they act like their their life is so hard. And, you know, I've been to a lot of different countries, man. Um, probably one, one of the worst countries I've been to. I actually got a chance to go to Cuba for like a month and I lived there in Cuba with the Cubans and uh, I, I trained with their wrestling team. And, and man, like, you know, you think you got it hard. I mean, you know, and these people are like, oh, life is so hard and I do these drugs to help, blah, blah, or, you know, whatever kind of stupid thing. And, um, you know, I mean, if I could say, you know, in simple terms, it's just grow up, really. You know, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> most of the people, you know, most of these people that are, you know, I, I don't, I think people should be allowed to do whatever they want. I think they should be allowed to take drugs if they want. Um, you know, but I also think that, you know, Part of the problem in America is that we don't have to suffer the consequences. Um, not necessarily jail. Like the, I don't think that needs to be a, a consequence. I don't think people should be put in a cage for, for you know, destroying their own bodies. But you know, the consequences of you know, my consequences were almost death. Um, you know, I'm obviously I'm glad they brought me back and everything. But um, it's not necessarily you know that's my own fault though. So. You know, if I was to die that day, that would be my fault, and and I wouldn't, uh, you know, I wouldn't fault the world for leaving me behind that day. So, you know, I think it, you know the world has gotten kind of soft when it comes to things like that. But, um, you know, so probably you know if I was looking at someone in the face into their face, you know, I'd say what what helped me more than anything else was uh, nobody helping me anymore. And that was you know for for. When it comes to getting away from drugs and alcohol, nobody helping me anymore because the more they kept helping me, the the worse it got. So, you know, if I could look at someone in the face and they said, man, I'm on you know drugs. I just can't get off. You know, I'd probably just tell them to fuck off. And <laughs> and that, and that's it's not a not mean. I wouldn't mean it in a in a harmful manner. And I, I hope the best for every single person in this world. I hope that everybody, every single person in the world succeeds and get and get something good out of life. But I think the the best thing for someone in that situation is to you know tell them they're on their own because the only person that can fix it is 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 yourself, right? Everybody, right. Um, everybody looks externally to have their problems fixed. If they start looking internally, then their problems get fixed a lot faster. And I think that's kind of probably why it's such a hard question to answer too, because everybody who um, finds themselves in those positions is you know, running to drugs and alcohol because they're chasing a, a different feeling and different desire. So it's really hard to, I, just, I think, just sit down in front of somebody and psychoanalyze that you really have to go internally and, and want to change yourself, whether you find a new passion or you find a reason to make it happen. But it's awesome to hear that you were able to find something that you're so passionate about that it was uh, yeah. pivotal in you being able to change your whole life, you know. And, and that's exactly it. So when I say, like, you know, I tell them to fuck off is because if they're asking me what, what the answer would be, then they're already looking in the wrong place, right? Yeah. That and that's with any change in the world. I mean, I see you know the most obvious example is you know people with diet all the time. You know, nobody can follow a diet. Nobody can, you know, people have such a hard time losing weight, and um, and you don't see the people that do end up losing weight or getting to 
to the uh, the health uh, um, level that they desire are the people that are looking inside and um, you know changing themselves instead of trying to you know expect others to change them or or provide for them. So let's kind of transition that into talking a little bit about you know your early MMA career and um, how you're able to go from walking into that gym that day to becoming a sponsored athlete and then making your way onto the ultimate fighter and what that experience was like. Whew, long story, man. <laughs> well, basically, you know, from right then, you know, I, I, like I said, I was kind of, you know, struggling with the drugs and alcohol, like little by little, just kind of filtering it out of my life. Um, I think, yeah, I seriously started training MMA around 23 or 24. Okay. I think 23. So, you know, and, and like I said, I was seriously, um, you know, or I was I was filtering the drugs and alcohol out slowly. So over my my amateur career and the beginning of my professional career, you know, it was a long, slow process. It wasn't overnight. It was because again, the naivety that I had that I that I had lived with for so long, like I didn't understand, uh, you know, what I was doing. So like like I, what I used to kind of do was you know, quit for, uh, two or three weeks before a fight. And that would be, you know, I felt like I was doing enough then. Um, and then, and then it became, you know, three or four weeks and then, you know, and sometimes, you know, maybe you lose a fight and you're like, okay, next time I'm going to do five or six weeks. Right. So it was just constant, you know, just, I had to figure out things really the hard way when it comes to life lessons like that. So, so I never really like fully quit until the ultimate fighter. And actually right before the ultimate fighter, I moved to New York city, uh, with my girlfriend at the time and became a personal trainer. And I was considering whether to continue pursuing a UFC career. Um, basically I was kind of at the point where I was like, man, I don't know if, you know, you know, if this is just a pipe dream and, you know, like at some point I gotta have make, I gotta make some money and, you know, settle down and, you know, live a normal life, right? Pay some bills. And because before, you know, I was just living uh, fight to fight and, you know, not making very much money in fights, like four or 500 bucks. And, you know, that would pay my rent and then, you know, just try to figure out a way to make it to the next fight. So I was like, okay, I finally had a good job. I was a personal trainer there in New York, which might be where the bodybuilding thing came from because I, uh, I was training a lot of bodybuilders, but Anyway, so, you know, then they had the audition for the Ultimate Fighter. I went over. It was in uh, Newark, New Jersey. I was, like I said, I was living in the city. So, you know, just took train over, took day off work. I was like, hey, man, you know, let's give it a shot. Like, it's kind of my last stand. You know, if I make it, you know, we're, we're going to go all out. If I don't make it, then hey, at least I got a, a pretty decent job job prospect here. So, you know, ended up getting lucky and getting on the show. They liked me. And, yeah, they, and that was when I actually had finally – when I got on that show, that was the day that I, I like. I haven't touched uh, uh, drugs or, um, you know, I've, I've had a few drinks since, but I haven't touched a, a drug since then. So that was kind of the final uh, nail in the coffin for that. Um, yeah, and then I guess yeah, the rest is history. So what what were tryouts like for the show? So they had probably I'd say at least four or five hundred people there, maybe more, and. They did a three-step process. The first was you had to do grappling and striking. Uh, so just to prove that, you know, you know something. It was only like a minute or two um, long. 
Um, then the second, and then they filter some people out. They called us all in a room and announced, you know, people that had to leave. Um, and then they went to the second step, which was the interview process. Or no, it was um, was it the interview process? Yeah. So the second step was the interview process. So we all did a quick interview, and then we left. And then uh, the people that were potential prospects, they flew us out to Las Vegas. There was, I think, somewhere between 50 and 60 of us, which was the second interview. And then they did like a steroid test and a uh, drug test for uh, marijuana and, you know, barbiturates or whatever, different things like that. And that filtered out most of the rest. There was probably, I think they had like four or five extras, but but regardless, in the end, I was one of the ones picked and... And then they they called us out to go to Las Vegas, I think, two weeks later, and, and that was it, man. So how long was your time in Las Vegas until, like, what was that show process like once you went to Vegas? The ones who went to Vegas for the show, it was a six-week process with, uh, yeah, we all lived in this house, no TV, no books, no letters, no phones. I don't even know if I owned a cell phone back then. No outside communication whatsoever. Um, I guess I did on a cell phone. It wasn't that long ago, <laughs> but uh, it was one of my first cell phones. Well, anyway, uh, yeah, so that was, uh, that was it. Six weeks in the house, man. 32 guys. And how many fights did you have over that time span? Uh, three. I did three and I lost and with, there was, uh, four people left. Okay. And then, and then once you lose, is that kind of just like they pack it up and go home or is it? Because I've never even watched a season of The Ultimate Fighter yet. I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of UFC, but I just haven't. Uh, Mike doesn't pay our cable bill, so I don't get a chance to watch all that <laughs> stuff. So, so, so with the uh, with the original 32, um, they, they you had to fight to get into the house. So there was 32, and then um, everybody fought. Um, 16 got to stay in the house. So those other 16 went home. And then once you got in the house, you stayed for the whole six weeks. Um like I said, I lost when there was uh, about a week and a half, maybe two weeks left, and I broke my ankle in the fight. So that was up until then. It was actually pretty enjoyable. I, I like training without you know any distractions. So you know, I had a pretty good time while I was in there. Most of the people were pretty cool. Um, you know, I, m- I made some good friends on the show. Um, Did you butt heads with anybody? Uh, not really. I only butt heads with one guy, Jeremy May, who. We, I took care of that pretty quickly. Um, we got into it. He he messed with me a little bit, played a little prank on me. So I called him out said, all right, well, that's cool. So we're going to fight in a few days then. And I uh, kicked his head pretty solid. So he pretty much <laughs> shut up after that. That was pretty much the end of that. And then, uh, yeah, like I said, you know, after I broke my ankle in uh, my last fight and lost, um, you know, I had like a week and a half, two weeks left, and that was pretty boring. Outside of that, the show was fine, but – um, the last, like they said, week and a half, two weeks with a broken ankle. So I couldn't train and, you know, there's nothing to do in the house. It was kind of boring. Right. And that was you, that fight that you lost was to the eventual winner of the show. I mean, did the broken ankle play a big part in that fight or, um, because I, you know, like Josh said, we haven't seen any season of the ultimate fighter. Um, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. He was the eventual winner, uh, Mir Sadala. And the, so the, the ankle didn't play a part in the fight until, well, when it was broken, I mean, I lost, I think, uh, you know, about two minutes later, maybe a minute later. So, you know, it played part in the loss, but not really in the fight itself. 
So wrapping up that season, do you just go back home after that, and then the UFC calls you and says, "Hey, you know, we want to want to get you in and start fighting," or because from my perception, I thought it was only the winner of the show gets a UFC contract. Yeah, so that's the way it was. Well, well, that's the way they initially planned it to be. But on the first season, they said, "Man, these guys are so good. We need to bring them all in the UFC." So they brought. Uh, the majority of them, a few of them didn't end up going on to the UFC, but, but really like if you impress them enough, yeah, that, you know, they'll give you a, a chance. So then they have what, what they call the ultimate fighter finale, which is obviously the finale episode. And that's where they fight live on TV. And usually if you win that fight, you'll get some sort of contract. Um, and, you know, so I won that fight and I got a, a, I don't remember if it was a three or or four fight deal or something, but I got a little contract and, had the chance to prove myself. So since then, what have some of your biggest wins and your biggest losses, in your own opinion, been throughout your career um, up to where you are now? Um, uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I know my biggest losses. I guess you kind of forget about the wins. Um, biggest losses would be, I guess, you know, Robbie Lawler and Johnny Hendricks, which were the, and you know, which were the uh, two champions. You know, they were. So what what happened was uh, Johnny beat Robbie for the championship. Um, so Robbie fought me to get to fight Johnny, and then and then Robbie beat Johnny. So I fought Johnny after he lost to Robbie. So it was like a little, uh, I, you know, I was kind of the rebound guy, even though uh, I almost beat both of them. So um, yeah, so that was probably my biggest losses because either one of those wins would have put me, you know, I would have fought for a title. So. Uh, the biggest wins, I mean, um, I don't know. I mean, they're all, they all seem big until later. But I don't know, probably, I guess, for me personally, probably Eric Silva in my hometown, or not my hometown, but in Cincinnati because yeah, it was close to my hometown. And my family was there. Like, there's probably more people there than there was in my family reunion and and uh, more family there than is at my family reunion. And and my kids got to come in the octagon after and celebrate the victory with me. My mom was there in the octagon. So, so regardless of rankings and all that, that was the biggest victory for me. Yeah, and you know, I I heard you came back from a tough first round win or a tough first round in that fight. It was your main event main event debut, correct? Yes, sir. And uh, you came, you had a tough first round. You came back to win by total knockout in the uh, third round. So, do you remember? You know. From that fight, do you remember thinking like, "Hey, how am I going to come back from this?" Or what? What pushed you through to the end and allowed you to knock him out there in the end? <laughs> uh, man, I don't know. I was like, "It's either you or me." So I'm just going <laughs> to keep first, right? I mean, I know when he when he kicked me in the belly, he you know he almost TKO'd me, and, and I was I remember all I was saying was in my head was like, "You better knock me out right now, because if not, I'm a, I'm coming right after you. I'm coming." And he didn't knock me out, so he got it. And so up to this point, I mean, you've obviously had an amazing UFC career. You've done a lot. You've accomplished a lot. Um, kind of what has that experience been like overall? You know, I mean, it's got to be a change of lifestyle, and you've probably met people you never thought you'd ever meet. Um, for people out there who obviously haven't been in the UFC, can you kind of describe that in, in, a, in a short way, or is it kind of just hard to even wrap it up? Ooh, yeah, definitely hard to wrap up, man. Like you said, I've definitely met some people I would never expect it to meet, and been in some places I never expect to been. I mean, it's been a roller coaster. You know, I've had my ups and my downs, but um, I guess like it's been such a whirlwind. It's almost kind of hard to wrap it up uh, easily. You know, I've had since I got in the UFC. I mean, I've I've lived in six different cities. I've 
uh, I've had three kids. I've gotten married. Um, you know, I've, I've started uh, uh, two businesses on top of, you know, fighting. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, gosh, there's just so much that's gone on. And, you know, that's, that's how I like it. You know, you only live one one time. So I'm uh, I'm going to keep living until I die. Yeah, definitely. So talk about, you said you started two businesses too. Maybe let's touch a little bit on those. What kind of, uh, and I believe one of them is the, uh, and I'm going to mess up the name, so I'm not even going to go for it, but the workout equipment, right? Yeah, Immortal Combat Equipment. And okay. Yeah, so that's um, still a growing business. Um, you know, I started making this, some equipment for me and my friends and, and people who just started buying it. So I was like, hey man, you know, maybe we should just start manufacturing it and, um, so I did, and it's still, still a small business, not really doing a whole lot, but I'm not losing any money, so uh, I can be happy with that, and I really enjoy doing it. So <laughs> not losing then, money is a bigger win than a you big, think. <laughs> I mean, you think that's oh, podcast loses a lot of money? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. You want to get into negative business? Jump in the podcast business. We're looking for I investors. <laughs> I actually did a podcast for a little while. I, I didn't really. Um, you know, it's, it used to, it was called the great MMA debate. Well, actually we started one, me and my friend there in Columbus, uh, Jeremy Loper on Loper and Randy show in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, we started one called legit man shit. And then we changed it, uh, to the great MMA debate. And now, uh, Damon took it over Damon Martin, who, who still lives there in Columbus and is called fight society. So it wasn't really my thing. No, I, I couldn't consistent. I'm, I'm a lot better at answering questions than I am of, of starting conversations <laughs> uh yeah so anyway so yeah the uh, the other business is just real estate I, I just own a few homes and you know i think um but you know i, I started investing pretty much all uh, my fight purse every time i take a certain amount of money and just invest it into real estate and then you know some other you know i, I do diversify my investments so it's not all into real estate i have uh, stocks and you know a pretty diverse portfolio but um, as a business, you know, that's something I think will be a long-term sustainable project for me. Absolutely. So, you know, how long do you expect to continue fighting in the UFC and, you know, what are your goals for the future? Is there anyone in particular you're looking to fight right now or any upcoming uh, fights planned even in the near Uh, future? yeah, I don't have anything, uh, coming up right now. Um, nobody really in mind, honestly, you know, I've lost my last two fights. So I'm kind of at the mercy of whoever they'll give me. Um, but as, in terms of how long I want to fight in the UFC, basically just till I can't no more. I mean, that's about as simple as I could put it. You know, I, I really want to fight for a long time and I want to go, I, I, if, if it goes my way and I can stay healthy, you know, I'd like to go 40, 45 years old. You know, I'd like to have, you know, I'd like to to have the, the most fights in the UFC or be the oldest fighter in the UFC, the long, most long-lasting. But um, so I'm assuming something will probably happen before then, you know, whether it's a, you know, uh, God forbid, a, a brain injury. But, you know, it's always a possibility or, you know, some other debilitating injury. So hopefully nothing like that, or hopefully, you know, I don't lose too many fights or anything like that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that, but I don't have any, any plans for retirement right now. And how old are you right now? I'm 35. 35. So you'd aim for like another 10 years 
neglecting any brain debilitating injuries which would be yeah i'd love to do another 10 years i'd love to absolutely that that was that would be the greatest thing um and have you been presented oh my bad have you been presented with uh any offers in terms of like because sometimes what you can do branch out and do like commentating and things like that have you been presented with any weird scenarios like that where people like hey come come get a part of this or um, not really. You know, I pretty much uh, did everything that's happened to me. Uh, I've done myself. So, yeah, I, I don't know if I would be like I do. I don't know if I'd even be interested in something like that. I mean, I mean, you know, financially, of course, it always makes sense. But I, I, I don't think that my forte is in speaking. <laughs> I just don't think that's really, um, you know, what I'm going to end up doing with my life. Absolutely. So, do you, do you think you'll ever return to Ohio? It, it's possible. Uh, we really like Denver a lot, so um, it, it's tough to say. But it's always possible. I still own, um, you know, enough homes there. You know, I could come back anytime. Yeah, so, so kind of one one last thing, two last things that we wanted to wrap up with is uh, talk a little bit about Muscle Farm and what they're doing for you out there and what the training environment's like. I've seen some pictures on your Twitter and things like that, and it looks like. Um, got a pretty cool setup out there. So what's that experience like? Yeah, so Muscle Farm is probably the nicest facility in the country. Um, basically what they did was, you know, they sponsored the UFC for years and years. They were one of the, the premier sponsors, one of the top sponsors. And when UFC started the Reebok deal and you couldn't have outside sponsors, instead of them spending a bunch of money specifically on the UFC and, you know, staying on the canvas or on commercials or whatever – um, they switched things up and maintained a relationship with all their fighters. Um, you know, me, TJ Dillashaw, Neil Magny, Bohan Belichovich, uh, you know, they, all these different guys that they, uh, you know, even Clay Guida, you know, these guys that they helped for a long time. Uh, they just found a different way to uh, keep supporting the athletes without, without us wearing the banner wearing the shorts or or having a banner with muscle farm on it so they it's more organic grassroots growth uh, um, more more organic sponsorship and more down to earth and more realistic and it works out great you know they help us out with everything that they have the great um, recovery in the facility and great training great training partners great coaches everything so you know it's just an all-in-one facility and it just works out great for everybody who are some of your training partners out there right now uh, well, I just named, you know, some of the, the top guys. I mean, those are the guys that you're going to, you know, hear their names. You know, TJ Dillashaw, Neil Magny, Bohan Blitchevich, um, uh, Brandon Thatch, um, you know, gosh, more guys. But, you know, we have probably 20 guys a day on average. So, you know, most of them aren't UFC caliber uh, at this moment. Definitely. And so kind of one of the last questions we want to ask here is um, – you know, our mantra on the show, our slogan, really is uh, live uncomfortably. And um, what does that saying mean to you? And uh, how do you live uncomfortably? Um, man, that's a great saying. I love it because, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that's how, that's how you grow. And, it almost you know, sounds like it wraps up your whole life from the story that we've heard. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, you, you know, the, the only way to, uh, to grow, yeah, is to be in uncomfortable situations, you know, and, and if you're not growing, you're dying. So, um, you know, I, I, uh, 
you know, there's there's a fine line too. You know, you have to you know find some some comfort and things, but you also have to um, continue to push yourself. And and I've said a million times, you know, you only live once, so you know why not uh, live it to the fullest and see what you're you're able to accomplish, see what you're able to do. So yeah, I love that saying, and um, you know, I hope people can take it to heart because it's it's real. You know, the the people that live these, uh, comfortable lives. Um, you know, they're, they're, most of them just aren't, you know, I, I guess our, 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 our purpose in life is to give, you know, so everything in nature, if you look around nature, everything gives, uh, to one another, you know, the, the trees give to the soil as they take from the soil and, um, you know, same with the animals, plants, everything. So, you know, I think, I think that's the ultimate meaning in life is to give. So, um, to get to that point where you have something to give, uh, you have to go through the process of, of learning. And the only way to learn is, is through uncomfortable situations. So putting yourself in an uncomfortable situation, uh, learning those lessons and, and getting through that, uh, gives you something to give. Definitely. Well, I think that's an awesome place to wrap it up, Matt. And we really appreciate your time and wish you the best of luck um, with everything that's coming up for you and just, um, keep killing it and making Columbus, Ohio proud. And uh, saying that we can ever do for you, don't hesitate to let us know. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. All right, Conquerors, that's the end of the episode. If you enjoyed it, please like and share on Facebook. Rate us on iTunes and check us out across all social media. Before we let you go here, we want to give one last shout-out to all of our amazing sponsors. Our first shout-out goes over to our sponsors at AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. And with over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. To find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked up in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. And I want to give a shout out to another one of our supporters, Max Effort Muscle. For those of you guys who aren't familiar with Max Effort Muscle, they're a nutritional supplement company that just recently launched, supplier of cutting-edge nutritional supplements. Some of their current products include pre-workout, post-workout, and fat burner. Uh, Mike and I just recently started using the pre-workout, and it's awesome. Best thing is they're supplements with ingredients you can understand. Nothing's hidden behind some proprietary blend, and you don't know what's in it. Not to mention the company was started and is run by some local Central Ohio athletes that Mike and I know very well, and uh, we can trust to deliver high-quality product aimed at providing value rather than just making a buck, which is really hard to find in the supplement industry these days. And if you want to find out more about the company, the team behind it, the store behind the company, which is pretty cool, or their offerings, check out MaxEffortMuscle.com. I want to give one last shout-out before we get rolling here, and that is the Procure Clean. Procure Clean, the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, is a chlorine dioxide product that has quickly become the leading disinfectant and deodorizer on the market. Their disinfectant is a simple, safe way to disinfect just about anything from tabletops to wrestling mats. What's unique about their product is that uh, you just add water, and spray on whatever surface you want to disinfect and wait just 30 seconds compared to up to 5 to 10 minutes for some other products to eliminate MRSA, staph, and a variety of other infectious diseases. What's really cool is that Procure Clean is giving a 5% discount on all orders in the month of December using the code CONQUERINGCBUS. All you have to do is send any inquiries to sales at procureclean.com. That is P-R-O-K-U-R-E-K-L-E-A-N.com. And mention the Conquering Seabus code, and you'll get 5% off any order. 
All right, Conkers, that's the end of the episode. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.